0: Welcome to The Materialist Podcast, mini episode number five. Nigel here, Public Archaeology Coordinator at FPAN Central. So thanks again for joining me on this little solo cast mini episode series I'm doing here. What's on Nigel's shelves? Um, Today's special guest is Adrian Eliades, a ceramic artist from Vancouver, Washington. For those of you that are new to this little mini episode series, the whole premise is basically I am looking at these display shelves we have in our house. My wife and I are both ceramic artists and therefore collectors of ceramic object, modern art pottery, old stuff, new stuff, everything. And so what I'm doing is looking at these shelves, taking this opportunity of, of sheltering at home and talking to some of the makers of these objects, trying to figure out a little bit deeper sense of why they are the makers that they are and sticking to the basic question of course of all the materialist podcast episodes do objects have agency so episode five here is my conversation with adrian
1: Thank you so much for having me. My name is Adrienne Iliadis. I'm a ceramic artist and educator living in Vancouver, Washington.
0: Almost the Great White North. Almost. (laughs) (laughs) How's the weather out there in Vancouver?
1: It's getting very springy and warm. I even have shorts on today, which is much appreciated.
0: Uh, it's hot here. And uh, I just saw a little blurb this morning, local news saying that they started catching the mosquito that carries uh, yellow fever and dengue fever and Zika mm. and all those things right down the street from our house. So things in Florida are grand. Thank you, Adrian, for being on the episode today. So the whole premise of this little mini episode series is to start talking to some of these makers to try to find out a little bit more about what their motivation was for making the work or becoming a maker in general. Now, the podcast as a whole, the materialist podcast, is rooted in material culture studies, archaeology, things like that. But handmade art ceramics are all part of that as well. This is a great opportunity to speak to some of these makers from the pots that we have on our display shelves and find out why they make the things that they make. So why do you make pots, Adrian?
1: (laughs) I, I ask myself that question all the time. So... I've always made things even since I was a little kid. Uh, I like to have my hands busy and create and making functional things really gives me joy because then someone will most likely assimilate it into their life and use it or look at it and it'll make them happy and it'll inspire them in some way. So while I I think about, you know, getting a real job, quote unquote, (laughs) (laughs) Don't do Um, it. (laughs) I know, I probably won't. I I just have this internal urge to make things and I'm not happy when I'm not making things. I'm really lucky to have a home studio because I think I would be going absolutely insane right now if I was locked out of my studio. Yeah. uh, In addition to everything else in the world. So, you know, I think it's it's nice for people to kind of collect a piece of me for a matter of I'm always honored when someone wants to buy my work and and put it in their home, whether or not they use it. I can't really Mm -hmm. control that once it goes out of my possession and it's theirs. They can do whatever they want with it. Some Mm -hmm. people think it's too precious to use, you know? Mm -hmm. Some just want to keep it on the shelf because they're scared to break it. Um, some have really big collections, so maybe it doesn't get used all the time. And some people tell me it's their daily go-to object, which is really thrilling. So it's, it's almost a selfish thing. I just need to make, but it's nice that people like to buy the objects I make and use them as well.
0: You you kind of look at the work that you make as a bit as an extension of yourself. Like so, like you are putting yourself out there in Material culture form and like physical vessel form. Like people are drinking their coffee out of you, Adrian.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I really feel that way. And I, I think that work that I made when I was younger and I was a more uh, aspiring artist didn't speak the same to me. It didn't feel like an extension of me, but this work definitely does. Why? Um, I just don't think it had as much of my personality in it because I wasn't able to to kind of translate and communicate myself in the works. So, you know, and also when you're kind of starting out, especially in a medium like ceramics, a lot of the times you look to other people that make ceramics Mm -hmm. and you mimic them whether you mean to or not. So a lot of it was things I was seeing and then trying to make it my own but not being very successful. So
0: when you first started grad school, I, you know, saw your work. It was this amazing, you've made like one of the most dramatic progressions in not only the quality of work that you're making, but the, like the style changed so dramatically. You you came into grad school making uh, atmospheric fired work and sort of uh, earthy, you know, um, earthy pots. And now you're making this porcelain, beautiful very seems to be very 80s inspired graphic design so it's it's a pretty dramatic like change shift in style yeah those years no
1: totally it was a huge departure and and some of it was I think when you go to grad school you should end up making different work than you come in making I think if you don't you're not exactly doing it right I mean you teach its own and everybody's journey is different but why put yourself through such a um rigorous process and all that critique, if you're just gonna keep making the same thing, you could do that in any studio anywhere. So, and some of it was, you know, the equipment at University of Florida wasn't working. You said I did atmospheric firing and the kiln was broken. So it was Mm -hmm. actually kind of an accident uh, why I started doing this type of work because I was rebuilding the kiln and in the meantime kind of had to figure out another way to make work and fulfill my deadlines. And so I started playing with more color and more pattern and really figured out that that was truer to what I wanted to say in my work. It is really 80s inspired these days. I'm (laughs) 80s inspired. I'm an 80s baby. And I'm really drawn to design and really just pops of color. Everything's really abstract because I want people to be able to insert their own narrative into the work. I don't want to kind of answer all the questions for them. So generally, what people see in my work is going to be different depending on the person looking at it, and I think mm-hmm. that's really fabulous. I li- I'm leaving it open for them, you know.
0: Your work is so f- like fun. I hate that f- word, but
1: <laughs> I think that's a nice word. I you do. Know, okay. <laughs> as far as being an artist, I don't shy away from words like fun or cute or any of those super taboo things. You know, beautiful, beauty. Yeah. Uh, if I was in a a critique or if I'm teaching, okay, maybe I don't use adjectives like that. But I, I think it's nice. I think it's nice that people see that in my work. And most people aren't going to give you a really honest critique of what they think of your work. They're going to use words like that. And you know, that's genuine to them. And that's, that's nice. Totally agree. So- I don't get super uptight about stuff like that. So
0: I think that's good to not, obviously to not be uptight about those kinds of things, but it really talks a lot about you as a functional, like maker of functional objects too. It's like, you can only be so uptight about things that are designed to hold like a beverage, right? I mean, you're not making, you're not making sculpture, you're not making these big conceptual art pieces, you're making pottery. Um, and. The, the, the tradition of people making pottery in this country goes back thousands and thousands of years and there is ceremonial pots and there is everyday pots and there you know, they, they look different too. Some of your work, your teapots, these, these, these ones do seem to kind of lean towards, almost towards ritual and ceremony because they look delicate. They, I don't know, the making of tea, like tea in general, drinking of tea, using an actual teapot, doing that nowadays, there is a bit of a ritual to it, a a ceremony to it. What do you, what do you think about that?
1: Uh, I would a hundred percent agree with that. And I think a lot of potters, especially talk about their work being for the everyday use. And that's something that maybe gets overused and regurgitated because it makes sense with utilitarian work. Right. I don't think my work is for everyday use. And I know some of the pieces like mugs and stuff, You know, they're really straightforward forms and people do use them every day, but I had an epiphany a couple years ago when I was spending hours and hours decorating these things and they got more delicate and fragile, especially with things I make like my milk and cookie trays where there's actual racks and the cookies are standing upright and they're very precarious. My work is for special occasions, I think, and a lot of people approach it that way other than maybe my mugs, because mugs are such a thing we use Mm -hmm. every day, regardless of how it looks. So I would say that I am really making work for a special occasion. The aesthetic is on point with that. And really the price point has become on point with that too. Mm, It's It's not super, super affordable work. You know, Mm -hmm. not everyone is going to buy a $70 mug, but in order to get even half of what I'm putting into it out of it, that's just how I have to sell it and market it these days.
0: Yeah. And, it, and uh, you know, newsflash listeners, it, it goes way beyond uh, the materials used, right? <laughs> it's what the artist <laughs> feels their worth is. And like you said, like you're putting part of Adrian in each one of these pieces and that, that in itself is, has value. So, that being said, like, we use your mug uh, nearly every day.
1: A lot lot of people tell me that, honestly. They say it's really comfortable. Oh, it's,
0: it's, yeah, it's brilliant. nice mug to use. (laughs) Uh, I I, I get a little paranoid the way Cheyenne just, like, throws it in. She doesn't throw it, but she just puts that in the damn dish drainer, and I'm like, please please be careful. (laughs) This is something I've talked to other artists about. You know, we could go out. You know, I have a mug here, regular, ordinary mug, generic, made by the – Quadrillion, you know, that it functions great. You can toss it into the dish drainer. You can abuse it. You can break it and go buy another one without breaking the bank, you know? So, what is it about the work that you're making that kind of, though keeps it in this functional realm,
1: puts it into this other world? Yeah. So, uh, you know, I've done work in other media and it just doesn't fulfill me the way that making functional work does. Other than my studio practice, I'm kind of a minimalist. Like I don't Mm. like a lot of things around. I don't see the purpose of them or if I'm not going to use them almost on a daily basis, I'd rather just get rid of it. Even if I need it a week later, it's, you know, I'm constantly going to Goodwill and and getting rid of things that I probably need. (laughs) (laughs) So, and you know, I know that comes from my dad. Our house was always packed and their house that they live in now, which is 12 times the size of the house I grew up in is more and more packed every time I come home. And it gives me extreme anxiety. I try to have fewer better objects in my life. And as a potter, I actually am really low on the production scale. Like it will take me, you know, two weeks to make 20 or 30 things, which is I mean most people can make 100 or 200 I used to work for a production potter that would make 100 things one day and trim 100 things the (laughs) next day so you know I just I think that I like functional things and I like having um people use them and I don't want it to just sit on a wall even if it does add aesthetic value because the way that you interact with a piece of art that has a function the user gets to kind of insert themselves into that ritual. And, I, and you know that's part of the conversation. And I think that's just really lovely. And that's yeah. something of painting just doesn't, you know, painting or drawing or 2d work or sculpture, it just doesn't have the same kind of relationship or communication between whoever acquires the work and the artist
0: yeah yeah a museum probably would not like it if you went up and picked up the painting off the wall and started interacting with it
1: <laughs> no they don't even like you to try to touch it or get too close uh, I'm yeah. constantly being yelled at for crossing that line you know <laughs> on the floor because I want to just like get a better view but
0: yeah see the paint strokes get up there and see it a little bit closer
1: right so yeah, you mentioned
0: you mentioned like um, 80s graphic design being one of your influences, but do you have any like historical influences that you have looked at for your work? Cause it all seems to be like postmodern European silver, like very yeah. modern age, 1950s modern.
1: No, no, that's, that's dead on. You know, those cookie trays I was talking about, those are kind of modeled off of toast racks, which is that exactly what you're talking about. That silverware from that era. So I, I look at a lot of European ceramic. I used to look at a lot of Asian ceramics, but then I started to ask myself, you know, culturally, if that has nothing to do with me, why am I looking towards it for inspiration? Mm. Um, I'm Greek. So, you know, my family is European, even though I'm second or third generation in this country. So it's not like I ever really grew up there. My parents didn't even... But we had a lot of that stuff in our house. My dad was a chef, so we had a lot of different serviceware. For a long time, I thought we actually um, had really, really fancy porcelain dishes that were knockoffs, and it kind of, <laughs> kind of like broke my heart when I found out. <laughs> about that. It was just some some extras from a restaurant that he had. That was-
0: <laughs> That's awesome
1: you know what we grew up with those were our plates and I for the longest time I thought that they were this real kind of English porcelain and they weren't
0: (laughs) so that kind of leads to the uh, next question is the use of porcelain to kind of keep that continuity through like the historical English pottery
1: I think the reason I use porcelain is threefold one I have to make everything harder than it needs to be so porcelain (laughs) material fits that (sighs) bill really well that's so Um, funny Two, I am a very clean person and a very clean potter and artist. And I I get that comment a lot when I demo because I won't be covered in clay after I throw. My students don't understand if they're doing it wrong. (laughs) Um, So, you know, porcelain, white clay in general just doesn't stain the way red clay does. So even though I think red clay is beautiful and a lot of the objects that I collect tend to be red or black clay, Um, I just can't stand how much it stains everything, you know, your your clothes, your fingernails, everything. And then also I just love how it's a white canvas for, you know, all this color. I kind of liken it to gessoing a canvas before you would paint, right? You're already getting that really bright white paper-like quality, so.
0: That's a great place to stop. Thank you. Thank you, Adrian, so much. Tell the listeners where they can find out more information about you.
1: So probably the best place to find more information about me would be my website, which is adrianiliadis.com, all one word. And I have, you know, a shop that's not open right now because I'm getting ready for a a gallery feature with Charlie Cummings Gallery, which is in Gainesville. Um, I'll link to that. Oh, thank you. But yeah, you know, there's information about past projects, uh, my resume, all that is on my website. So probably the best place.
0: Awesome. Wonderful. Well, thank you, Adrian, for being on the podcast. That was really great.
1: Thank you, Nigel. I'm honored. So,
0: thanks again to Adrian for starring on mini episode five. If you'd like more information on Adrian Eliades and her ceramic work, please go to adrianeliades.com. That's A D R I E N N E E L I A D E S. <laughs> Adrian Eliades, one word. Um, She's also on Instagram and Facebook, so check her out. Her work is amazing. She is also going to be in an upcoming exhibition at the Charlie Cummings Gallery, so Google Charlie Cummings Gallery, um, and you'll find all the information on that. Big thank you to our listeners for tuning into this mini episode and on behalf of my regular co-host for the full length episodes Becky O'Sullivan, a public archaeology coordinator at Fpan West Central, thank you very much. If you'd like more information on Fpan, please go to fpan.us. Big thanks to Have Gun Will Travel for the use of their song. Check them out at hgwtmusic.com. And you can holler at us anytime at materialistpodcast at gmail.com. Just a reminder, we released a full-length episode this past Mother's Day a couple of days ago. So check it out. It's a really good episode. Very touching. We actually took this opportunity to interview both of our mothers, and it was a very lovely episode. So So check that out. We'll be back with another mini-episode next Friday. We'll catch you all on the flippity-flip.